Interestingly, I had on my heart to do a reading this morning. And uh, guess what my reading was? Revelation 4, 1 to 11, which Pastor Rodney has taken for me. So there's just the evidence. I had a photo or a picture for you to see as Pastor Rodney was reading that. So um, well done, mate. Very good. We don't have to read that now because we all heard it during worship, didn't we? Yeah. Can anyone see the everyone see the, the, the significance of the picture? Um, but I want to highlight for us right here, right now. And I'll put the little pointer on here. It's right there. Our God is a consuming fire. There's just something that stood out to me while we were worshipping this morning. That God is a consuming fire. And before I get into the word, I want to just declare that the altar is open this morning. We're looking at God is holy this morning. And I want to just open it up to you. No matter when, no matter what's going on, no matter where the scripture may speak into your heart. If you want to pull out into the aisles and kneel just in reverence to God, or if you just want to come and lay flat on your face before God in his holiness, then that's open for you today. I'm not expecting you to, but if you feel like you need to, I'm saying that you're welcome to. Does that make sense? You're welcome to, because you see, our God is a consuming fire. And really, really right here, right now, I'm feeling underdone. I'm feeling exposed before my God. I'm feeling exposed before my God because I am unqualified to be even reading His Word, let alone qualified to share His Word with you as about how holy He actually is. But my attempt today is not in my own flesh. My attempt today is because He welcomes me because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the altar being open to you this morning is an invitation for you to acknowledge that God is holy And where He is holy and in His holy presence, nothing that is unholy can exist. Nothing that is unholy is to be there. If you're struggling with a sin in your life, today is the day that our holy God is going to consume that in your life. If you're struggling with an area in the flesh that you just can't let go of, today is the day that we're just going to take it all away and say, God, in your holiness, fill me with your goodness. You see, I I don't know what's going on, but I know that the Holy Spirit is here in the fullness of holiness. Because I know that this is not what part of my message was. I know that God wants to do something in your life today, but you can either sit there or you can respond. And God's invitation is that we would respond to His holiness and we would come into His presence so that we would stop doing what we're doing trying to appease a holy and good God and come into His presence on the basis of grace and the presence of faith in our life. Are you filled with faith this morning? Do you believe that God is able to consume whatever it is that is separating you in His will? Are you believing today that God through you can transform the world around you? Well, let me tell you, the more we struggle with sickness, the more we struggle with sin, the more we struggle with poverty, the more we struggle in our own flesh to overcome these things, no one will see that we serve a perfect and holy God. And God wants to deal with us today in this area. So it's open. As God speaks to your heart, you might even want to kneel in your seat where you are. That's fine. You just want to kneel and acknowledge what God is doing in your life. Then make that faith step this morning. Don't sit in your seat and just say, great word, pastor. Don't do that because it's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is that the Spirit of God would meet the faith of you, your faith right here, right now, and that it would transform you and bring a breakthrough in your life. So either God's here or He's not. Amen? Either God's here or He's not. If God's not here, then I'll pack up and go home. But let me tell you, God's here, and He's here in the presence of holiness today. I love the imagery that comes with Revelation one, uh, 4 and 1 to 11. I love that imagery. And this thing's going to play up on me, isn't it? Come on. When God brings us together, there is something of Him that we cannot fathom There is a uniqueness of His mystery in our life 
that when he brings his church together, he is in the midst. There is something beautiful of that. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, let me emphasize Lord Jesus today. Be Lord of our life. We want to be vessels of worth. We don't want to be containers that are containing both the kingdom and the world. We want to be purged of the flesh. The dross of this life, Lord God, and living holy and righteous and redeemed as you have made possible by the cross. God, as mere humans, we stand before a holy and righteous God. And we look to you today for grace. Have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Knowing about God is not knowing God. We've been saying that over the last three weeks. Taking what we know of God and worshipping with a grateful heart brings us into a deeper intimacy. You see, Jesus came to reveal God the Father as someone who wants to know each of us intimately. He came to set free the captive, to break the power of sin and death, and also to open the way to God the Father. How do we approach a holy and fearsome God if we don't know that He is for us? Jesus teaches us that God is for us and not against us. And in his teaching about God, Jesus shows us what he means. So we're in our third part of our five-part series titled God Is. Week one, we, we saw that God was faithful and he continues to be faithful in our lives, continually to draw us in to his goodness, continually drawing our friends and our families through us into his goodness and his glory. Last week, Pastor Rodney shared an aspect of God that he is just. And today we will follow or discover uh, and even, and I pray, a transformed life message that says that God is holy and therefore I am holy. Therefore I am holy. And, and what I'm sensing is some of you are sitting there like I was when I got up here and I declared that I am unworthy to be reading his word. And I want you to feel the weight of that. Because you are unworthy to be in his presence in your own self. You are unworthy to be here today. But one person makes you worthy and his name is Jesus Christ. I think this is a message that we've lost within our Western churches. It's well and good that we talk about the faithfulness of God. It's well and good we talk about the goodness of God. It's well and good that we talk about his love and how it draws us in. But I think there's something about the holiness of God that we're missing as his church. That when we pray for someone and we release God's holiness into that situation, sickness cannot stand. Sin cannot stand. Because it cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And therefore, we need to deal with it in our life. Because God is saying to you today, you are holy. Just as I am holy, you are holy. And those things that you're entertaining in your life or those things that you're hanging on to because it's part of your identity, that sickness that you're holding on to, that mental illness that you may be struggling with of depression or something like that because it defines you in the humanity. God is saying it is unrighteous and unholy and should not be a part of his holy vessels in this world. God is breaking through in your life and he's doing so this morning by showing you and revealing to you that he is holy. Where he is holy, you are holy. Say with me, God is a holy God. God is a holy God. The angels declare that he is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy are you. Holy is our God. Remember our challenge over this time is this, that we will choose to just take on what, that we won't choose to just take on what is said as knowledge, but that we will embrace the attributes of God 
see that Jesus paid a high price to reveal them to us and that we by grace receive and reveal these same attributes to those to whom we are called. It is not good enough to just know about God. It's not good enough to walk around and say, I know God when you haven't had the intimate relationship brought to you by Jesus Christ and your faith in him. There is no power in saying that. But when you know God and you know that in his holiness, that he is righteous and just and able to achieve and accomplish that which his word has put into motion because it will not turn back to him void. When you believe that that is the God who he says he is, the God who not only delivered Israel, but is delivering you and those in your family, then you will encounter something of his holiness that cannot and will not hold back in your life. God is holy. From the dawning of time, the word establishes that this very fact that God is holy. By consecrating the last day of the week, the seventh day, by consecrating that one day, he said and declared that he was holy by calling it his holy Sabbath. When God appeared to Moses in the desert in Exodus chapter 3, that we see through the miracle of the burning bush that was not consumed, that he told Moses to remove his shoes because the place where he stood was holy ground. When God in Exodus 12, 16, was instituting the Passover, he spoke to the people by the calling of them his holy assembly. When God defeated the armies of Pharaoh in Exodus 15, Moses sang of how God had led the people to this holy abode. You see, when God starts describing himself and he's using this term of holy, he's including us into bringing us into these places of that he makes holy. And in Exodus 19, as we see the people, they stood before Mount Sinai with Moses before God. We read these words that he said to them. I think they're up there. In verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This word holy in the Hebrew is the word kodesh. It means to set apart, to be dedicated to sacred purpose or sacredness, clean and morally or ceremonially pure, it literally means set apart for holy purposes. So when God is talking of you as being holy, these are the things we need to think of. That we are dedicated to sacred purpose, that we are sacred, we are set apart, clean, morally and ceremonially pure, literally meaning set apart. For holy purposes. For you and me, this is what it means. Separation from everything that is profane and defiling and a dedication to everything that is holy and pure. It is this turning away from that which defiles me as a person and turning unto God, the only one who can make me clean and pure. It is that simple. We can go around and spend years and years discovering what holiness is but when you said yes to Jesus, that's what you did. You said, yes, I'm going to repent of the way that I have chosen to live in accordance to my value system. I understand that my value system is based upon sin and it is morally impure. And when I turn to God, based not upon my works, but upon the works of Jesus Christ at the cross, upon the works of the shed blood of the Lamb of God, upon the works of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes and seals me into the kingdom of God and says, you are now therefore a son of God. You may call him Abba, Father. And by the way, you can just have holiness as a result. But you see, what we get is this sense of we live according to the flesh because we're still battling in the flesh. But God says, be in the world, not of the world. See, God says, be in the world, but not of the world. There's two differences there, isn't there? 
And when we look at holiness, not only does God make us holy, but he empowers us to overcome. He empowers us by his grace to overcome the very nature of humanity within us because it was defeated at the cross. In thinking about trying to explain this dedication to everything holy and pure, I remembered, and um, I do like to watch TV shows that are historical, not documentary historical, but sort of shows that are dramatized historical, because I do like the entertainment of it as well. But I do like to look at war stuff, and I like to look at those sorts of things, and I learn from history. I don't want to glorify that in any way, but what I want to do is show you what I seen as I was preparing this. And uh, the TV show that I was watching, not at the time, but I have watched, um, is, the, is the TV series Vikings. And that is very unpure, if you know what I'm talking about. But in my attempts to sort of show you this, in the first couple of series, obviously, um, those raiders were raiding England. And they raided, obviously, what we would know as a, king, a, a Christian nation. So pagans invading the Christians. And, and they throughout the five series that I've seen, they, they're, they're showing the the medieval priests or the, the, the bishops or even the monks as they're dedicated unto God and his holy work. Now, while I don't agree with what they did and how they dedicated themselves to God, there was something that is unique in it. Because becoming a monk meant that they would spend their entire life living in a monastery, spent their entire life translating the word of God into pictures so that the common man could understand. The one fault that I think that they did was that they didn't translate it into the common tongue. And therefore, every man and woman and child couldn't read the word of God. That's what I don't agree with. But what I do agree with is their their sacredness, their dedication to the sacred works of Holy Scripture, their dedication to holiness of God, their dedication to say that they would serve God with whatever their talent was for the entirety of their life. It's something that we've missed, in a sense, when we look at our life today. Because it's almost like Jesus is someone that we tag along and we just say yes to Jesus and then we bring him along our ride instead of Jesus bringing us along his ride. Our journey should be set apart unto God, amen? Our journey should be set apart unto the things of God. Our journey and all that we are, you're not in a vocation. You're not in a secular vocation because the moment you enter your vocation, it becomes holy. It becomes consecrated. It becomes set apart to God. You might be a nurse, a teacher, an aide. You may be someone working on the floor uh, in a shop. You might be someone who is putting up tents. Whatever it is, you make the secular holy by being there because you are God's change agent for this world. I'm going to say that again. You are God's change agent for this world. You can't do so by bringing Jesus along for the ride. You have to do so by saying, Jesus, I'm along for your ride. Because it's the holy transition that must take place. It's this saying that my, my life is consecrated unto you. Everything I do is holy. And therefore, if you're doing something that's unholy, automatically the conviction of the Spirit comes on your life saying, you shouldn't be doing that. Automatically you're saying, I'm no longer holy and you live in guilt. That wasn't the idea of the Spirit. The idea of the Spirit was to remind you to live consecrated to God. It was remind you to say that you've turned your back on those things. It was to remind you to say, hey, you're God's change agent right here, right now where you are. And if you live in that state, you live in a place where you can say, how about I pray for that problem that you've just told me about? And it becomes natural and not something you've got to work toward because it's based upon the holiness of God that's our working in your life. God is named holy. The really interesting thing for me in studying out and preparing for today is this very truth that God is holy. It is not just another attribute, but it is also his name. In Joshua 24, we see the account of the covenant renewal between Israel and God. It is where we find Joshua's challenge to the people to leave their false gods from Egypt and to live consecrated unto God who is holy. Within the church have snuck in some false gods. And we could put anything before God. We can even put our service to God before God. Trust me, I've done so. We can, we can put our worship to God before God because we can put it as a performance and not as a heart matter. 
So in Joshua 24, 14. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The next passage over in Joshua 24, 19 says, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord. It's quite an interesting little thing that he says there, isn't it? I wouldn't say it's little in any way. He says, You're not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And obviously I understand this is an Old Testament context. Obviously I understand, but I want to say to you something. Later on we're going to discover that holiness is an attribute that passed through the cross. Holiness is actually a command that continued into the new covenant. So God, through Joshua, gives this challenge. You're unable to do so. You're unable to serve God because He is holy. And it's a reality in our life today that without God's paraclete in our life, the Holy Spirit who is our advocate, the Holy Spirit who seals us into the covenant relationship with God, without Him in our life, we would not be able to stand before God. We've got to understand this. Again, in Isaiah 57, we're looking at God, His name is holy. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy places and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Again, in Psalm 89, uh, it refers to God as the Holy One of Israel. And when Mary visits Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, she sings of God declaring this, that my soul magnifies. Probably a different version up there. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Just a little side note there. We've got a little type here. We've got a little typology happening right here. You see, God, God puts Jesus within Mary. This is a prophetic image of what God did to you the moment you said yes to him. It's a typology sort of thing that where God would put Jesus into Mary and all the nations would call her holy from that time forward when you said yes to Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus one of the benefits of that is that Jesus comes and lives within you I in Christ and Christ in me the hope of glory if Christ is living in you then the nation should declare that you too are holy you see, it's a, it's a beautiful image, a picture right there of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. All of this is foundational to understanding one sure and certain point, that God is holy. And those who would follow Him and His ways must see themselves consecrated and separated under His ways. For you and I, and this is our encouragement, our challenge, we see this fulfilled in Christ. And as new creations in Christ, we are born of God, born again, holy, righteous, and redeemed in Jesus Christ. Where Leviticus 19.2 commands the people of God, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The good news is found that in Christ, 
Grace is available to walk in the state of holiness before God, not based on what we do, but based entirely upon what Christ has done. You talk about a gospel and how you should share it. It should be good news. You want to talk about how holy God is and how we do not come up underneath. We always fall short of his glorious standard. We always fall short of his holiness. That is exactly true. But in Christ, the good news is that he makes us holy. That he brings us into a place where we are standing, not upon our own self-righteousness, but upon his self-worth and his righteousness, his holiness. The good news is that that's available to all of us here today. When we look at Jesus, he is the Holy One of God. In John chapter 6, we see some hard to understand uh, sayings from Jesus um, talking about, you know, you must eat my my flesh and you must drink my blood. And, you know, the multitudes turned away from him. They turned away. We think that they understood what a blood covenant was. But a blood covenant, this was the memorial meal that needed to take place. When you look at what Jesus is actually saying here, he, we, we represent this today when we take communion. But he's saying these hard things because somewhere along the line, it's not good enough just to follow Jesus. You must give your life to him. It's not just good enough to say, Jesus, I'm over here. Help me, help me, help me. Without saying, Jesus, I am completely yours. We sing about surrender, but have we actually surrendered? It's an interesting question that I often ask myself, especially when I'm in that place and I'm working through this stuff in holiness and I'm going, well, God, I'm never going to measure up. When I sit back and I think about what I've done this week, I had to get on my knees and I had to say, God, you are a holy God. I cannot approach you in my own merit. You are a holy God. I need your forgiveness today. You are a holy God. Forgive me so that I can stand in your righteousness, so that I can carry that which you have called me to carry. You see, God being holy, and that's why I feel that it's something in our life today that we somewhere we need to respond. And maybe it's in our time of communion when Pastor Rod leads it. I don't know. But we need a touch point like I had a touch point again this week when we're confronted with the fact that God and Jesus and His Holy Spirit are entirely holy. When there's something that we're confronted with this in our lives, all these things come flooding back that shows us where we fall short. We need to just say, sorry, God, I repent today. Give me the strength to overcome that which I continually fail in. God is holy. Jesus is holy. And we're talking about people turning away from God because of this challenge that Jesus gave. When we look at this, we understand that he was pointing to his last supper and the communion with him. As many stopped following Jesus because of his harsh sayings, I think Peter's answer brings us the encouragement. Before us today is this challenge to live holy, as God is holy. If we choose to shut off, then we will not hear the answer of God. Peter said this in John 6, 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When was the last time we approached Jesus on this basis and basis alone, that he is the Holy One of God? And I think there's a challenge in that for us. Whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're somewhere in middle age, there's a challenge in here for us that God is holy and Jesus being holy wants us to approach us to approach him on his terms and not our own. When does our prayer list turn from a prayer request to just admonishing and admiring God for his goodness. I think this is where it happens. I think this is where it becomes intimacy. I think that's why we're talking about who God is, is because we want to clarify. It's not just about doing the stuff, but it's really about knowing who he is and understanding who he's made us to be in him. Who sh- where shall we go? To whom shall we go? you have the words of eternal life. 
The disciples we see are sold out. They knew there was no other way for them to come before a holy God. In fact, without Jesus, they would be lost. Peter was not going to let this moment pass by. And we read her of when we read Hebrews, we can continue to understand that the disciples were continually in this mindset. The Hebrews writer puts it this way in Hebrews 7 and 21. He says, But the one who was a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, talking of Jesus, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost, or the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lived to make intercession for them. I want to highlight that for you today. Not only did he save, but he's able to save and he's continually praying on your behalf before God. Making intercession for you. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. I'm so glad that I go to Jesus and not another man. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Are you getting a picture of God and Jesus in this? Jesus, in being holy, unstained and separated unto God, bore in himself the penalty for our sin so that we could in him be holy, unstained and separated unto God ourselves. Jesus, as constant in his priesthood, holy before God, intercedes on our behalf. His righteousness accounted to us in Christ. His holiness is ours in the same manner. Freely given. So where does this leave us today? And I think in this is the ultimate challenge. That while I was preparing, like I said, I became aware of the holiness of God. Either I stayed the course and continued to write this message. Or I packed up and run. But our confidence is in Christ and not in our own effort our own merit, our own works. Our confidence is completely in Him. The challenge to me was to repent. Where my life was not separated. Where things got in the way between me and God. I suddenly became aware of myself and those things. It is not good to stay and allow these things to compromise our holy state in Christ. Romans 12 and verse 11, he says this. Paul writes, I appeal, excuse me, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your Spiritual worship. Ephesians 1.4 Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that He should, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. This is not a state of effort. It's not a state of merit. It is a state of being. That He makes us holy. He makes us consecrated. He makes us separated under Him. It is a grace work thing and not an effort merit thing. The moment we tip over into effort and merit, we're living under a legalistic viewpoint. And that's what the book of Galatians completely encounters and and corrects in that group of churches. It's what God is constantly wanting us to understand. But in the middle of it, we can't lose sight of the fact that God is still holy and therefore is a holy standard that we must live up to. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the capacity of grace that he offers us. 
Colossians 1, 22 and 23. I've got lots of scripture today because I want to show you the weight of what I'm saying. <clears throat> he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. When you look at the book of Colossians, Paul was writing against an error. Is the same error that is in the church today when you look at um, segmentation. It is the same error, not in the Christian church, but in the sect in the sects that come from the church that would try and call themselves Christian, but we know that they are not. When you look at the Jehovah's Witness, it's the same thing. The Gnostic Gospels, those sorts of things. Jesus, through Paul, is writing right here a correction. When you stay steadfast in the faith, means when you hang on to the good news of the gospel and not apply works to your efforts. When you hang on completely to the gospel and the free grace that is offered to you, you will work from a position of favor, not looking for favor. Your holiness is attributed to you not by what you do and by what way you live. It is attributed to you by the faith that you express in Jesus Christ. It is attributed and grace to you, then an empowerment to live according to the way God wants you to live and not in the way that you feel that you must live. I can't make that any clearer. This whole book of Colossians is commending us to live in accordance to the gospel, that which was preached by the apostles, that which was preached by Paul himself. He's commending them, live in such a way. But we get confused in today's day and age because we've got our hands on so many pieces of information. And we go and we look at things and we think we research stuff and we find all this knowledge. We never take it back to what the Word of God actually says. And this book challenges us to remain faithful, to remain completely in this place. And when we step out of that, we step into our own works, we step into our own righteousness, and it's from that which we need to repent. We've got on one side the repentance from sin and dead works. We've got on the other side the repentance of trying to appease God. They are two sides of the one coin that lead us to destruction. But when we stay in this faith, righteousness is accredited to your account. And you can stand before God. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation. Jesus paid a high price so that you and I could come into a relationship with a holy God. We are, the question is, are we prepared to live set apart for him? You know, this looks like something. For the spirit of grace and holiness to flow through us, we must be set apart for him. Not looking to taint the holiness that he is accredited to us. If we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all and make us holy. But we too have a responsibility in this. We too need to understand that holiness has come through to the new covenant. Colossians 3.12, Paul continues and writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. First of all, he starts off by saying that you're chosen, you're holy, and you are beloved. Isn't that empowering? Isn't that gracious? Isn't that good that you know that God loves you because you are beloved? That you know that he has made you holy? And by the way, we'll just add one more thing to that. You are chosen. You are chosen. Like think about the weight of those words. Why would we go looking anywhere else? <clears throat> Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. There's a nice list here of how we should live, isn't there? Put these things on. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Doesn't it sound like a wonderful Christian life? Who's feeling like they're, they're able to live under that today? In your efforts, you're not. But it's a conscious, willful decision to say, I'm going to trust that God's grace will empower me to do this. Because where God calls us and he's calling us to live like this, he empowers us to live like this. 2 Timothy 1 and 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. What is that holy calling? Do you know what that holy calling is? It's to represent him well. That holy calling is to live as Christ to this world. His change agents, like I said earlier. His holy calling is to tell people about Jesus and their way of becoming holy themselves. Unto this holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Not only is God holy, but he is wonderfully thoughtful of you. 2 Timothy 2.21, and this is one of my favorite passages of scriptures when I was learning and training and doing all sorts of things. This one challenges me all the time. 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, uh, set apart as holy, Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. What a, an amazing portion of Scripture. To live as a holy vessel unto God. To live fit for the banqueting table is another way that Paul writes about it. To be a, a, a vessel set for good use. Not a vessel that's used like a mop bucket. Not to clean the toilets, but a vessel that's fit for the banqueting table. A vessel that's of pure worth of gold or silver, like a, a nice goblet. You think about the imagery that Paul actually uses in these portions of Scripture. And he's saying, this is who you are. You're not meant to be put away into a mop cupboard. You're meant to be out on display and used and utilized by God himself. And he makes that available because he makes you holy and he sets you apart for him. So I think in concluding, we've looked at some pretty intense passages of scripture, yeah? But one thing is clear. Holy and set apart is who we're supposed to be. Separated from sin and the lusts of the flesh, Jesus made the way possible because of his holiness being accredited to us. Becoming holy was God's plan, paid for by the precious blood of Jesus himself. Yet our response to this must be to remain in the state of which he made available to us. Holiness. 1 Peter 1 and 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the point. This is Leviticus chapter 19. And it's re-quoted by Peter himself in the New Testament. He is talking to Christian believers. He is talking to those who would follow Jesus and set apart for him. He's not talking to Jews. He's talking to Christians. And he says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is where the Old Testament comes through the cross. And remains in the covenant today. This is part of the covenant of the law. Which still stands in the new covenant. This is something 
that fulfilled in Christ is available for you. It is something that we are able to walk in, not by our effort, but by God's grace. There is a striking difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Where the old covenant, everybody falls short under the new Jesus never does. This is a state of being, as I've already said, not a state of working. The good news is all who call on the name of the Lord can have this same experience in Christ. I want to invite you to stand to your feet while I close off with this passage of Scripture. I didn't know what God was going to do today. I still don't know what he's going to do in your heart. But I do know that his word is faithful. I do know that it will not return to him void. I do know that where we struggle with things, God is able to overcome. I do know that where we seem like we have put barriers and restriction in our life, God is a God of the breakthrough and is able to breach into your life today. You stand before a holy God. The angels would fall on their face crying, Holy, holy, holy are you. Just let that weight hit your heart for a moment. The angels would fall upon their face saying, Holy, holy, holy are you. In Christ, we are able to stand before God. But I remember that song, I can only imagine. You know that song by Mercy Me? Where he's singing about he doesn't know what he would do in the presence of God. Would he fall upon his knees, his face? Would he stand in his presence? Would he sing hallelujah? I often think about those sorts of things. How would I stand if God was to walk into this place right now in a tangible, real way? For those of us that are fooling around with areas of sin in our life. It might be um, trying substances. It might be, you know, um, sexual of nature. It might be pornography. It might be, you know, not married and sleeping with a partner or, or sleeping around. It, it might be whatever it is. You might be just challenged in in this moment right here, right now. And this is not to bring condemnation or conviction, but where I struggle at times with these sorts of things, not substance abuse or sexual immorality or anything like that, but with sin in my life, where I struggle with those sorts of things, I often ask myself, what would I do when Jesus, if Jesus was to walk in the room now? And it's just a real, a real marker in my life that says, you know, if I wouldn't do it with Jesus in the room, then I shouldn't be doing it now. And I go back to prayer and I say, God, thank you for your grace in my life and help me to overcome this in my life. And I have the righteousness of Christ, therefore I have the mind of Christ, therefore I'm able to overcome these things. So by your grace, help me to overcome them. Maybe today you just need to reach out to God and say, God, I need this in my life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2 to 4. And I want to read this out of the Passion Translation for you today. Most of you wouldn't have heard this version. So these words might sound unfamiliar. But let me tell you, they come from the intimacy of God's heart himself. So if you're in a position where you want to receive something from God today, maybe you just need to move to a seat beside you. Maybe you need to move into the aisle. Maybe you just need to raise your hands and surrender or just like you're going to receive a gift. And let these words wash over you right now. I'm writing this letter to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. 
Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in the eyes with an unstained innocence. God looks upon you right now, washed in his blood, cleansed by the purifying blood of Jesus Christ. And he declares because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. God says you are not just forgiven, but you are innocent before him. As you turn back to Jesus and as you remember him, as you repent in your heart and say, Jesus, I want to be innocent before you. Allow the blood of Christ to wash over you right now. Wash you afresh and set you apart under his goodness. And by being holy and consecrated unto God, he's saying you are innocent in his sight. He is a magnificent blessing in that. You can walk out of here today without any guilt, without any shame, knowing that God who is holy makes you holy in his sight. God, I pray today for every person that is here that we would get a revelation of what it is to be holy before a holy and righteous God. I pray, Lord God, that this message would penetrate our heart in such a way that we would be positioned to do the most holy work that you have commanded us to do. That not only have you saved us and set us apart, but you have equipped us with power in the Holy Spirit to take this message to all around us and to share the good news of salvation by grace and faith alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. Thanks, Pastor Rodney.